Father, this morning we come to you, Lord. Thank you for another day in the land of the living. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. The God of Israel who neither sleeps nor slumbers, who watches over his people. You watched over us through the night. That's why we are alive, Lord. Because the enemy would have loved to kill us in our sleep. But your hand was there. You give us another day. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you, Lord. For as long as there is life, there is hope, Lord. We just thank you. This morning, we commit this time into the hands. Monday morning for us, Sunday night for a lot of people. Whichever time zone people have tuned in, commit them all into thy hands, Lord. And I pray the hand of God would rest upon each one of us. Lift us up, Lord. Lift us up to your very presence, Lord. Lift us up. Because there's only one place where there is rest. It's behind the way, Lord. Nowhere else, Lord, can we find that rest and that peace. So you look into your word, you keep looking into us, Lord. Because your word is the mirror. Where we see Christ, and where we see ourselves, and where we stand in the light of who Christ is, Lord. So speak to us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So we go back to Revelation chapter 3. We are looking at a church. And we cannot run away from that church because that church is probably the most accurate picture of uh, the church of the last days. Actually, you could call it instead of Laodicea to the church of the last days. <laughs> but there will be always a faithful remnant also. So we cannot generalize it, just judge ourselves. So we go to 3.14. To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, okay, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Last night, um, every day we pray online, or night, but Sundays we pray with a believing part of our family. So from US, they tune in. So I was, uh, yesterday, my niece prayed and she was saying, thank you, Lord, that we can read and it is written. So I was thinking, what a powerful statement, right? It is written and we can read. Because a lot of people cannot read what is written. So we do not even realize the fact that we can read. It's a blessing, okay? To the church of the Laodiceans, write, okay? To Laodiceans, write. These things say the Amen, the faithful. Okay, that's an important we have to come back as the spirit leads. We would like to, we are not trying to finish our syllabus. That happens in academic calendar. No, we don't have a calendar. We go by God's spirit, by his timing. So we are not going to rush through to finish a syllabus. We are trying to see what is God telling us each day. So this morning he's first put the brakes on that one word again, faithful. 
the words, but he's faithful. He's faithful as a father. He's a faithful as a father. We may be unfaithful as children, but God is faithful as a father. And he says, in my faithfulness, I will discipline you. Okay. So God is faithful. And then the other characteristic of God, which we use the term immutable, which means God does not change. Okay. So God does not change and God is faithful. This is important because you know what? If God is faithful and God keeps on changing, it's very difficult to reconcile with it. Very reconcile. That is why we need one fixed standard and then we are faithful. Everything in this world, whenever you have measurements, there is always a fixed standard. Okay? So for everything, God is the standard. And and he's immutable. He doesn't change. So, and he's faithful to that standard. So when you're talking about holiness, God's holiness never changes, never decreases, never is fixed. It's immutable. So he's faithful to his holiness. He's faithful into his righteousness. He's faithful in his love. He's faithful in his mercy. So that's how important it is. And he has revealed himself to us in various ways from the beginning, all of creation to the word, to prophets, but ultimately, perfectly through his son, Jesus. And the revelation of Jesus Christ in Isaiah chapter 11, there's a whole this thing, and then in verse 5, this is what about Jesus, it says, Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Okay? So why is it so important when Jesus tells this church, which is absolutely unfaithful, that he is still faithful in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. Okay, 2.13. Even if we are faithless, unfaithful, he still remains faithful because he's immutable. He cannot change. Okay, so that faithfulness of God is what is keeping every one of us, every second of the day, we are talking about uh, unbeliever and also believer. His reign falls upon the wicked and the righteous. So the unbeliever is also kept by God's faithfulness. And above all, he, his faithfulness keeps us who are believers. And there is this one major issue we face we face as believers, we face one major issue as when we were all unbelievers, we faced, all of us faced, Adam fell, all men died in Adam and our major issue was uh, sin, it separates us from God and then what happens is God gives a promise right there in the garden before he sends them out and he remained faithful to that. He gave them a shadow of what would happen and then the substance came. He remained faithful to his word. It may be 4,000 years late for us, but it was never late. God is faithful to fulfill his promises and he will do it in his time, but he will never go back on his promise. And then those of us who have been delivered from the penalty of sin, we still struggle with sin. So in 1 John 1 9, the Bible says, God has given us a way out. Come to the, come boldly. Don't worry about it because you are not a slave. You are a son. You have been redeemed by, by the blood of my son. Come boldly, confidently to the throne room of grace and receive mercy. And to receive mercy says we need to confess. And he says, if we confess our sins, and the question is, 
He is faithful. We do not realize we are entirely dependent upon the faithfulness of God. And this is something every day, every week, we have to struggle with people. I mean, all, all, every day, practically, when people call and they, this, I have to tell them, what are you, what are you putting your faith on? On God's faithfulness or on your feelings? What are you? The Bible says He is faithful. Okay, so it says once you have repented, once you have confessed, if you're still walking under condemnation, you're actually questioning the faithfulness and the justness of God because he's not looking at what you did. He's looking at what you said and he's looking at the justice has been met on the cross. So you con- you actually question both the faithfulness of God and the work of Christ on the cross. Okay, and that's worse than what you actually did. <laughs> Worse than what actually did. Okay? Worse than what you actually did. So, we are entirely dependent upon the faithfulness of God. So, when God comes and tells his incredibly, unbelievably unfaithful church, he comes and tells, remember, I am faithful. Then in 1 Corinthians, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he gives us an illustration of the church of Israel that came out of Egypt and how they failed. He gives us the characteristics, the principles by which they fell. And then he warns us, be careful that you stand uh, lest you fall if you come to verse 11 and 12 and then 13. Now, all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition. It happened to them as examples, but they were written for our correction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Okay, so it, it's a very beautiful construction. Verse 11 is a very beautiful construction. Okay, upon whom the ends, not the end of the ages have come. Different ages have entered. And now we have come to the ends of all the ages. So, so, so many things will make relevance only to the last generation. Because knowledge would increase and everywhere knowledge would increase. So the last generation would be able to understand history better than any other generation. Why did things happen this way? Because of the increase of knowledge. So these were written upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And then he says, so be careful. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. And then comes verse 13. And it's an important because this is what everyone goes through everywhere. Even those who are listening online, this is what we go through. We wake up to temptation, tests and trials. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. There is nothing new under the sun. Everything common to man. But God is faithful. That is okay. God is faithful. Because because when we wake up, what we realize is the temptation, the test, the trials we're going to face. Okay, We have to go to sleep also. We say, Lord, please, tomorrow let it be a better day. Lead me not. Okay, Lord, let it be. But God, the Bible says, first, 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 don't go into self-pity. Okay, no, no, there's no trouble like my trouble. Don't go into it. There's nothing. Everything is common to man. Every. Everything anybody has experienced is experiencing. Somebody else has experienced probably at a higher level. Okay. But the key is this. God is faithful. And because he is faithful, what will he do? He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. So the first thing you have to realize is you will say, oh, this is too much for me. I cannot handle it. 
Chalai. Chalai. When you say that, you are questioning God who ordered your day for you. Who has seen the end from the beginning. Oh, this is too much for me. I cannot. Because you are questioning God, the just God. Oh, he will not allow you to handle something which you, which is beyond you. He says, no, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. He knows everyone and he knows everyone's measure of faith. He knows everyone. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So when this temptation comes, the first thing we need to understand is God is faithful. He will not, this temptation is not too much for me to bear. Otherwise, if it is, he will not because he's a father. He will never put a load on a child which a child cannot bear. That is where this fatherhood of God is so important. So Jesus teaches us to pray. He says, when you pray first, remember he is your father. And a father will not put a load on a child which the child cannot bear. He will not do it. So remember him as your father. He's a father. And because he's a father, he is faithful. So everything that comes to you is somebody has already because experience makes a whole lot of difference because if you read through the book of Proverbs and the Psalms and all that, these are experiences of people. So you don't have to go that way because somebody has already tested it, already tested it. You know, why do we use things uh, even which are new to us when it came to us, cards and refrigerators, microwaves, because they were all tested. Tested. It is one thing we say when a new car comes, that's when the electric thing came on, we also don't buy now. Let it run for a year and see how it works because it has not been really tested on the roads, okay? Is it, is it good for all weathers, like an electric vehicle? Okay, it is good. But when the roads are flooded, what will happen to it? Let it be tested, okay? So when you are talking about temptation, there is no new temptation unique that is going to come to any one of us. Every temptation has come. Every, even when Jesus was tempted, he too was tempted by the same temptation with which Adam and you were tempted. There was nothing new there. It was about food, it was about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. It was, he was also tested in the same area. See, the devil cannot invent anything which is not already there. He's not an inventor. Okay, he's a duplicator. Okay, so God says, God is faithful. God is faithful. He will, so the only thing is one thing. First, he's faithful. He's just. He will not put something on me which I cannot handle. And there has to be a way out. So the faith will always look for a way out. Lord, there is a way out. Would you open my eyes, eyes that I can see the way out? That is how you approach God. Because you know he's faithful. I'm going through this. What is the way out? Would you please show me your Lord? Okay, show me your Lord. He will show you a way out. Because God is immutable. He never changes and he is faithful to everything that he has said. That is the importance of the word of God. Why do we always go back to the word of God? Why do we exalt the word of God? It is because of who God is. He is faithful to what he has said. That's why in Corinthians says every promise is yes and amen. And if you become a true man of God, you just have to say yes. Or no. People should should not demand anything more from you because you have proven your yes is yes and your no is no. Because God doesn't have to say anything. He just says yes, it is yes. If he says no, it is no. 
So every promise is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. The reason is immutable and is faithful to what he has said. So this is where. So when it comes to man, first and foremost, when it comes to us as believers, we need to be first and foremost faithful to God and not to man. This is the trap into which everybody gets it. Okay? Faithful to God and then to man. What is faithful? Faithful is basically loyalty plus obedience put together. And it is first to God. Like I said, because all authority comes from God. Other than God, nobody has absolute authority. We have only delegated authority because we will we will always run into this conflict because you need to understand all of us were born into a home okay ideally if you are not illegitimate parents i never call children illegitimate there are no illegitimate children there are only illegitimate parents but ideally if you are born into a home you are born to a father and a mother who are basically the authority, delegated authority over you. The question is, as the child grows up, the child has to realize at some point, has to realize, and the parents have to teach the child at some point, what we tell you and why we tell you is because of God. Because of God. Our authority comes from God. That is why in Deuteronomy 6, when God says all these things, love your God with all your heart, all your might, all your strength, and then says, tell all this to your children, meaning remember it comes from me to you, to you, to them. So when there is a contradiction between the delegated authority and the absolute authority, then the problem will come, what does the child do? Okay, what does the child do? And we have this extreme case where the sons of Korah will separate from the tents of their father. Okay, because what happens is in the world, people demand, authorities demand absolute loyalty. Absolute loyalty. But the men and the women of God through centuries have preferred to die than to be loyal to an authority that is not loyal to God. So at every level we need to realize when you are talking about faithfulness, we are ultimately faithful to God. Okay? Because that should be the result of faith. Because if faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God and God has exalted his word above all his name, then my faithfulness is to God. That's what Romans uh, 1 and verse 5 will talk about. The obedience that comes by faith. Okay? Obed through him we have received grace and apostleship for what? For obedience to the faith. So obedience has to be to, to God. Okay, That's what we remember when we began this year some time back. We said uh, from <coughs> Exodus uh, no, Joshua chapter 1, no? Moses, my servant, is dead. Arise. Okay? Arise. Meaning, Moses, the delegated authority, is dead. But God lives forever. The absolute authority is from everlasting to everlasting. 
So that is what God is looking for because on earth you will see delegated authorities will demand absolute loyalty. Absolute loyalty. And that loyalty cannot be given. That loyalty is given only to God, at every level only to God. And this is where the people of God ran into trouble. Every one of them ran into trouble when Mrs. Potiphar is expecting absolute loyalty. He says, no, that I cannot give you. Daniel runs into trouble. Daniel's three friends prefer to go to the fire than the loyalty of the king is asking because the loyalty the king is asking would go against the loyalty to God. Daniel would go to the lion's den. So we will be. That's why this is important. When we say God is faithful, the question we need to ask is, am I faithful? Am I faithful? So man's first and foremost duty is faithfulness to God and then to man second. <clears throat> because man is not immutable. He is not perfect like God. And God is faithful. Jesus is faithful. And... Uh, Therefore, God wants us to be faithful. Now, we go to uh, Revelation 3 and verse 17, 18. Okay. Revelation 3. Now, we're going to this church. Okay. Because you say, I am rich. Okay. Now, these seven churches is the spiritual history of the church of all times. Before Christ comes back. Now he's telling to this church. Sadly, he has nothing good to say about this church. Therefore, we have to be very careful that we don't go over this. He says, because you say, okay, that's a problem. Okay, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing, do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So what you say and what God says. We call it between fact and fiction. What you say and what God says. Okay. You say. This is what you say. This is what I say. This is why people don't want to really hear from God because you will hear what he says. It's not a very comfortable. And he says, you say you have become, I am rich, become wealthy, have need of nothing. And do not know you are wretched, wretched and miserable. Okay. In Romans 7 and verse 24, you know, Paul talks about what was really going on inside. Oh, wretched man that I am. Okay. Now he says, according to the law, I was blameless. But the purpose of the law is to make you wretched. And he was one man who was wretched inside, miserable inside. The purpose of the law is only to bring us to Christ. Because every time you look at the law, you realize, you know what, I'm failing short, I'm falling short, falling short, falling short, falling short. Okay? And the only purpose of the law is to cry out, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Body of death. Okay? So Paul's, this is Paul's cry. Okay? There is... Another application of this reality, this truth. In Hebrews, we saw that yesterday, right? Hebrews 11 and verse 1. Okay? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith's evidence lies in the things which you do not see. 
And this is what happens to the church in the last days, which has been seduced by Satan's world. Okay? Our true hope, our true hope, okay, is the hope of glory, is in Christ Jesus, Christ in us. That is in the unseen, that is in the in the eternal. But when we transfer it into the temporal, it start into the temporal, and then we are not aware of it. Okay? In First Corinthians fifteen nineteen, God says, If only in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Who knows who's a man who's pitiable? A man who's wretched and miserable. The man who is wretched and miserable. This is literally Laodicea is the prosperity gospel church. It has really worked for them in the temporal. Really worked for them in the temporal. It has really worked for them. They got it all. In the temporal level, they have used Christ. Not Christ used them. They used Christ. And they got it all. They got the buildings. They got the numbers. They got the money ringing in the bank. They got it all. They got name. They got fame. They got it all. Okay. But God says, do you realize that you're wretched? Do you that you are miserable? Do you understand? Do you, I inside, have you taken a look at yourself? Okay. They're materially rich, but spiritually very poor. Very, very poor. This is the problem with the church in Laodicea and this is the trap into which we can actually get into. So we will go into one of the most controversial parables in of Jesus and he talks about a shrewd steward. But let's leave that, Luke 16, and let's look at, we'll come back to that later. 16 verses 11, 12, and 13. This is the conclusion of it. Therefore, after he talks about therefore, he says, Therefore, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? Now, we know what mammon is, gain and all, but in this current context of this parable, here mammon is money. Everybody owed that master money. The steward was unfaithful, then he was smart. So it was all about money. So God is talking about if you have not been faithful in unrighteous, let us say unrighteous money, who will commit to your trust true riches? So there is something called true riches. Because this church is saying we are rich. But their riches is false. It is not true. It is not true. It is false. So there is something which is called false riches and there is something which is called true riches. And the question is, how do I have access or how do I store true riches? That is the key. Okay. So, if you have not been, okay, therefore, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you true riches? Then, second question, and if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? And then verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. For either we will hate one and love the other, or he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So the simple question should be is, what is true riches? So when you look at faith, we need to understand there is something that is temporal and there is something that is eternal. 
So there is something that is temporal riches and there is something that is eternal riches. Okay, eternal riches. And we know on earth, we call it the gold standard. The gold is the standard. Money is basically based on gold. Gold was the standard. Not silver, but gold was the standard. So gold and silver are the standard. Diamonds and all are there, but it's very difficult to get. But gold or silver was the standard. So we will go first to first Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19, our purchase. Okay. First Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. So these silver and gold, God puts it and says they are corruptible. They are corruptible. They are not eternal. They are not eternal. They are perishable. They are corruptible. Okay? So you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. So God is asking the church in Laodicea, saying you are rich. But are you rich of corruptible things? Are you are you counting your riches in terms of things which are corruptible, which are temporal, which do not really last, which you really last, corruptible? Okay. And then if you go to verse 19, he tells us first what is true riches, the richest thing. But we were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus as of a lamb without blemish, without spot, the whole atonement. So the first thing we understand, true riches is what? It's the blood of Jesus. What could not be bought with all the wealth in this world, all the gold, all the silver, all the diamonds, everything put together cannot buy the redemption of one soul, while the redemption of all souls were bought by the blood of Jesus. So what is true? Riches. That is why the Bible talks about, you know, our God is a consuming fire is in the context of when you trample upon the blood of Jesus, the true riches, true riches, true riches. So when we look about true riches, one of the first things we need to understand is the blood of Jesus and the righteousness that comes by faith and faith alone. What is the, why did the precious blood of Jesus buy my redemption? Because he was a lamb without blemish and without spot. If he had one spot, the blood would have lost its power. Because much blood was shed. Even the blood that was shed on the day of atonement had a validity period of one year. One year. But the Bible says with one offering, he has made Perfect, all those who are being redeemed. So the the value of that blood comes from his righteousness. Okay, the value of his blood comes from his righteousness. Because he was righteous, born in without sin, and lived without sin, and then when he went on the cross and shed the blood, his righteousness becomes our atonement. Otherwise, God is not just. For God to be just and the justifier, the blood of the the blood of the Lamb of God had to be shed and the Lamb had to be without blemish and without spot. So we need to realize what is true riches. First, it is the blood of Jesus. Second, what it purchased for us, the righteousness that comes by faith and faith alone. So if you go to Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11, this is the foundation of every believer's life. For uh, first Corinthians, sorry, first Corinthians 3.11. Okay. This is the foundation. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ. This is the foundation. Now think that 
all the money in the world cannot buy this. Cannot buy this. Okay. All the money in the world cannot buy this. Okay. We, we looked. It cannot be purchased. If you look in Isaiah 55 verse 1 and 3. 1 to 3. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you have no money. Come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear, come to me here and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Okay. Now we need to understand. Because Jesus will say buy from me. Okay. Buy from me. So the first thing. What is that I have to buy? The first thing I have to buy from him. Is the ability to hear. I'm telling you. Most people in the church do not have the capacity to hear. They don't hear. They don't have that attention span. Even after being in our church for 15 years. They cannot. The first thing they will say yesterday was the message was too long. Too long. They do not have the capacity to hear. Capacity to hear. The first thing. We have to buy that. The capacity to hear doesn't come. You have, you, you have to buy it. You cannot buy it with gold. You can pay donation and get admission in the best college in India, but your child may not hear. Because money cannot buy that. Money cannot hide. Because the problem is, as the days goes by and things get more and more difficult, your your ability to come out of your situation is entirely dependent upon hearing. If you don't hear, you don't come out. I will make, you will, no temptation has overtaken any man other than that is common. But even when you are tempted, God will make a way. But to hear, to get to know the way you need to hear. You need to hear. And people does not, people do not hear. But you cannot just hear, you have to buy it. This is not purchase. This is true riches. The capacity to hear is true riches. True riches. We need to understand this is what the capacity, because faith comes from hearing. Okay, if you turn with me in first Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17 and 8, this is exactly what Jesus is, uh, Paul is praying. Paul is praying that the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you what? The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches? This is true riches. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the sins. But where does it come? It comes with an opening of your eyes. It's the hearing. The opening of the eyes of understanding is the hearing. Okay. So after hours and hours and hours and hours and days of arguments, finally Job is able to see. Able to see. And he says, I see and I repent in ashes. I am able to see. This is the true riches. Because the thing is that, you know what? Every man of God, child of God, <coughs> will ultimately, will reach a situation in a life, or may reach many situations in life, where all the money in the world cannot get you out of it. Otherwise, it's not a walk of faith. He will, he will see to that we are on that road. 
because that's the road of life. You will reach and you will not be able to get out of it until you hear. But hearing doesn't come in one day. You have to buy it. And you cannot buy it with gold. There are many things which we have to buy. But the Bible, Jesus says, buy from me, but not with gold. Buy from me, but not with gold. That we may know what is true. So true riches... How does true riches come? Go back to Luke 16 and verse 11. 16. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? So he says, you, you see, <coughs> you see what happens is this. This world has been ordered in a particular way. The devil is ruling over the world, but he can, he cannot uh, make laws. The laws were made by God. He will try to manipulate and change it, but he cannot change a law unless it was already there in the first place. Okay? So God has ordained physical laws, spiritual laws, material laws, all kind of laws he has installed. And then when the world of man began and systems started being established, you, you will realize everywhere in the world, it doesn't matter how far separate and how far distant they were, every culture worked on the same principle of loss and gain. Either gold, or uh, silver, or barter system. It always had to, always had it had to be. Even if you did not have weights, as we call has weights, like when I grew up in that country, which is cut away from civilization, when they came from the villages to sell something, they did not have a weight, but they had a stone. They had a stone. Okay, so they used the stone, or they had a measuring cup. So when you bought rice, they will say, how much does this, it's a kind of, it's made of bamboo, a small thing, okay? And they will, you have to, the price is according to that measurement. Because you, everybody had that, this is the way the system will operate. The question is, how did it come that way? Because that is the law that was established. Established. So God says, if you want true riches, you will be tested in that. You will be tested in that. Okay? You will be tested in what is common to every man. You will be tested in common to every man. If you go to Revelation chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, the church in Smyrna, okay, I know your works. Okay, here also he says, I your works. But he says, I know your works and your tribulation and poverty. But you are rich. But you are rich. Why are they rich? Why are they rich? The reason is in verse 10. They are rich because they were faithful. Okay? Do not fear any of those things which you are about to fear. Indeed, the devil is able to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. You will have tribulation 10 years. But I know you are faithful, but now I want you to be faithful unto death. That's the reason why they are rich. You have access to true riches. You have access to riches because, remember the churches in Macedonia, Paul comments, because in their poverty they were faithful. They were generous. Your generosity is, your faithfulness in your generosity is contextual. Your context. A rich man can be generous. Like let us say in India, Ambani gives 10,000 rupees. And people say, oh, he gave me 10,000 rupees. And then you see his assets is 100 billion. 
His asset is hundred bill. Okay, and the poor widow comes and Jesus says, the Bible talks so much about money, so much about money, because God knows that is the test, that is the test. So here is this poor widow who comes and puts her might, the might is nothing. But Jesus says she has given everything. She has given more than Ambani and Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and all put together. Okay. Because when people give, they give to the level of their comfort. Level of their comfort. They do not give what makes them uncomfortable. Okay? So he tells his church, I know, I know you. He says them in verse 9. He says, I know your works. I know your works. What? You are going, one, you are poor. On top of that, you are being persecuted. It's a double trouble. You are poor, it's okay. Poverty itself is a trouble. On top of that, you are going through tribulation, like our underground churches. They are poor and they are hunted. They are poor and they are hunted. But, he says, you are rich. You are rich. Why? To be faithful in that kind of situations is not easy. And he says, you still have remained faithful. And he says, your tribulation is now going to go to another level. What is that? You're going to prison. Whatever that means. You're going into prison. Okay? Devil is about to throw some of you into prison. There are men whom he calls the synagogue of Satan. Behind them is the power that is Satan. And he's going to throw you into prison that you may be tested. Will you remember? Probably the devil has gone and asked about the church in Smithna. Oh, of course you put a hedge on them. I can't do anything. Okay, God says, okay, I remove the hedge. So devil will say, how far can I kill them? And God says, yes, you can kill them. Because I know them. And now he tells them, you will not come out. You will die. But be faithful unto death. And what will I give you? I will give you the crown of life. Okay? People do not realize how these judgments are going to take place. How judgments are going to play. So he's telling them, be faithful. Be faithful. We talk about enduring faith. Yesterday we were talking about endurance, 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 endurance. Let's look at that once again. Hebrews chapter 10, 32 to 35. Okay? The whole letter of Hebrews is written to a churches that are going under persecution and to see that they don't drift away. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with what? Sufferings. Partly while you made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations. Partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourself in heaven. This is true till today. Okay, now what he's talking about has two meanings. Either by identification they lost their property or they realize you, let us say, Paul is lying in chains and the bail amount is $100,000. And all the people who hear are, are poor. And they're out of their poverty, they give everything and he's released. This is how it works. This is how it works. What it says, I was in chains. I was, you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. That is basically what's happening. 
basically what's happening. And you need to realize there are two churches put side by side. The visible church and the underground church. And the visible church is asked to take care of the underground church. It is a test. The test for the visible church is, would you allow the plundering of your goods? The test for the persecuted church is, will you be faithful unto death? This is the test. And the question is, both sides have to ask, do I have that kind of faith that endures? Do I have the faith that endures? And words, and this is, knowing everywhere that word endure, endure again comes. Knowing that you have better and enduring possession. What is that? This is true riches. True riches for yourself in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away away your confidence, which has great reward. So everything is contrasted between what is eternal and what is temporal, what is false and what is true. Okay. So God is telling us here is what we need to understand, he says, is how it happens is this is the test the believer is going through, caught between the temporal and the eternal. Okay. Because faithfulness is the key. Faithful in Second Peter, okay, Second Peter chapter one, verses five to eight, okay, five to eight. We say, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, okay, virtue. And then when you come to verse eight, if you keep adding this, if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 10 will say, we will receive a rich welcome into heaven. Okay, You will never stumble and you will receive. The question is, when you are talking about virtue, you need to understand one of the first virtues God wants us is to be faithful. Faithfulness is a virtue. Jesus wears it. Okay, the bar, what is the belt of his virtue? Uh, Isaiah 11.5. Hmm? Hmm? Okay. Hmm? Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. And when the woman with an issue of blood touched the hem of his robe, that virtue, what is that? He is both righteous and he is faithful. He is righteous and faithful. Okay, so we want people to touch us and be healed. And he says, yes, they will be healed. But what you need is my righteousness and be faithful. Be faithful. He says, be faithful. Okay, and there is only one way. Okay, there is only one way. Okay, in James chapter 1, verse 2 and 2 to 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall in various trials. Okay, so we will fall into various trials. That is not the key. The key is the man in the world and the man in the kingdom both falls into trials. Our response matters. The first response, the first response of faith is joy. Okay, because if you do not react in joy, then you're questioning your savior. You're questioning the end. You do not believe the end is going to be good. Okay, so we have to be very, very response. All these things matter. That is why faith has its own way of living. Sight has its own way of living. Faith is a way of living. The first thing he says, count it all joy. Why? Knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. The thing is that you need to realize, you know, and which is true, which you will realize that, you know, let us say you have a difficult child. Okay, difficult child. Let us use common uh, examples which people can relate to. You have a difficult child and in the beginning uh, you lost it. 
Okay, and you realize you losing it is making no difference. The child is not changing. Okay, then one day, one month, one year, and you realize the trial is still the same. What has happened is what it has done to you. You have become patient. You have become patient. Okay, patient. Okay, but the other side is that now when this child comes with the same trial, you should be able also to rejoice because this child was the vessel through which God's virtue or patience was birthed in you. And you did not buy it with gold. You cannot buy patience with gold. It is not possible. Like Derek Prince says, you can, you can get long suffering only by suffering long. There is no, these are not things which can be bought. But the question you need to ask is that, are you being patient? Is the question. As the testing made me more. Because if you are waking up every day for the same test, impatient, that means it is still not working. What is God looking? He wants to make you a patient man. Because when it turned, you know, the millennial rail comes in, when the saints are given authority over nations, nations of sinful men whose sin will not be allowed to be manifested, and one of the virtues a ruler will need is patience. Okay. See, the old days, old days, our lives were designed in such a way, not like in the world, were designed in such a way that if a man became 20 or 21, he could become a father because he was already patient because of the way life was designed. Today, people become 35 and they're still not patient. They're used to an instant culture. And so when they get married, they're impatient with their spouse. When they have children, they're impatient because our system has become instant. Instant. When we grew up, nothing was instant. Everything you needed time. You didn't get anything instantly. It was not possible. Not even to light your fire, it may take 10, mi- ten minutes. It's not turning, nothing and all. Nothing worked like that. So your way in which you lived was that... What was an inbuilt quality that came in was patience. So when such a man or a such a woman got married at 17 or 18, which is the ages in which people all got married ancient days, she was already a patient woman. So she could handle the responsibilities of life. But now what we need to realize is that nobody is patient because everything has to be now, 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 now. And we realize things, these things don't. Lord, why is it not happening? Because God says, what you intend is a solution. What I intend is a virtue. When the virtue comes in, the solution will come. But as soon long as the virtue doesn't come in, I will not give you the solution. So what do you do? You take a shortcut and go the way of the devil. This is why Israel left the living God and went after the Baals. Because with God, the solution is already, he is not a bother about the solution. He says, I can give the solution just like this. But he says, I'm looking for the virtue because I am not conforming you in the pattern of the world. I'm conforming you in the pattern of my son. That is the problem. That's why God says, do not conform into the pattern of the world, which is now, 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 now. The like a leech has many, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Okay, but he says it doesn't work like that. So God says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So the first question is that, has it produced patience? And the next verse says, yeah, patience, verse 4 says, yeah, verse 4 says, let Patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect. That means you may be mature and complete, lacking what? 
What did Lavadisha say? We lack? He says, you lack everything. You lack everything. You haven't reached the end of faith. You are standing somewhere. Put your faith in the temporal. You have all the temporal things and you say, you lack nothing. I'm looking into you and I'm telling you, if tribulation were to come, you will realize you lack everything. You would fall away so fast because you have nothing. You have nothing. You have not gone through the test. Okay. That's what he's telling them. That's what he's telling them. And this is, this is where we have to be careful. So he's telling the church, buy from me gold. Buy from me, verse 18. He says, buy from me gold. Hmm? Buy from me gold that has been tried in fire. Okay. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire that you may be rich in Isaiah. He will tell Israel, I have chosen you in the furnace of affliction. Furnace of affliction. You see, why is Israel still able to stand and fight? Because it is in their genetic makeup. It's in their genetic makeup. Okay. Most people would give up by this time. Okay, everybody is against us. Nobody is for us. Let us give up. But they will not give up. And you need to realize, it is in their genetic makeup. It's because from the beginning, God put this nation through affliction. To form Israel itself, forge the nation called Israel. Israel is the only nation which gets its name from the people. And not from the nation. India, we are Indians because we live in India. But Israel was not formed in Canaan. Israel was formed in Egypt. And Canaan got its name Israel from the people and not vice versa. Please understand, we all get our names from the nation, from the, uh, from the land. But the land got its name from the people. So that people were forged in the furnace of affliction in Egypt. So they have this resilience. And in the same way, in the gospel also, God's people have been forged. Because starting with me, all of us, some people were blessed to be born in believing families. That's why those who are born in believing families are lukewarm. But those who were born in nominal or non-believing families, and when they believed, they suddenly realized you are all alone. All alone. You're all alone. You're all alone in your home. You're, that nobody understands you because anybody who has to understand you has to be a person of faith because only by faith you can understand faith. So those who are born in non-believing backgrounds or come from non-believing backgrounds, they are chosen in the furnace of affliction. Whatever levels of affliction, some will be extreme in Muslim nations and all, some will be milder, but you are chosen that way. You are chosen that way. And then God says, you know what, I, then he tells, buy from me, buy from me. What is this? This is true faith. True faith. What is the nature of true faith? The nature of true faith is it is faithful. It is faithful. It is faithful in all circumstances. Okay? We, we call about, we talk about certain aircrafts, we will say all weather. 
it can fly in every weather, all kinds of weather. Some aircrafts won't take off. Helicopters and all will not go when the weather is, is very bad. Okay. So there are all weather. So what kind of a faith is that? It's a faith which is faithful in every circumstances. But the question is, you wouldn't know unless those circumstances came. So, how will you know? God knows, but how will you know? You have to go through those trials, those testing. Therefore, the Bible says, rejoice. Rejoice. Okay? It is a faith that will not fail. So, if you come to Luke chapter 16 again and read from verse 10 to 12. Okay? 10 to 12. Luke chapter 16, 10 to 12. Okay? He who is faithful in what is least is also faithful in much. He who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. And then he says, therefore, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon. So the first thing he says, the least, 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 least in the kingdom of God, when God looks at is money. Is money. And the least in the money is one rupee. Is one rupee. Okay, one rupee. Okay, okay, okay. Long ago, many many years ago, I'm not mentioning names and all. It was a servant of God. But later, years later, uh, when my wife brought that man to him, though I accept everybody that comes to me, but I told her I don't trust him. Uh, later she, later I thought, I, don't, I never trusted him. She said, why? I said, my first experience with him was that he never returned my money. Which he had not taken, which he had not taken for himself or asked from me, which I had given to him to do a task. Task. I had given him to do a task. Let us say I gave somebody a task to do 50 rupees task and I gave them 100 rupees. They should return that 50 because it's an official thing, right? 50. But he never returned. And he never returned that. And I said, from that day, I don't trust him. And I was true. He absolutely fell apart. The reason is that's a very small thing. Very small thing. Very small thing. The very small thing. It's a very small thing. Okay. And we do not realize these things matter. These things matter. So God says, in the kingdom of God, I have put faith. In the kingdom of man, I have put money. And you live in both. You live in, in the kingdom of the world and you live in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, you live by faith. In the kingdom of man, you live by money. And your test will be money. Test will be money. That is the least of the things. That is how you will be tested. Okay, how you will be tested. If you go to First Corinthians chapter four, verse one and two. Let a man so consider as servants of God and stewards of the mysteries of God. Here is a mystery which most people do not know. What you will be in heaven will be how you deal with money or not. Most people do not even know. It's a mystery. Everybody is carrying in their pocket dabu, 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 which means money. And they don't realize that very dabu will decide what you will be in eternity. It's a mystery. Why? Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. One be found faithful. That's why, remember, one was given one talent, another two talent, another five talent. And then God comes and asks, 
Okay, the question is, okay. So the thing is that stewards have to be faithful. So the first thing is that, is that, remember, we are in Matthew 25 and 21 in Judgment Day when commendations are being given out. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. What is repeated is faithfulness. Well done, well done, well done, well done. He's not saying good, good, good. He's not saying. He's saying you were faithful over a few things. Few things. We don't realize. You were faithful in a few things. Okay? Remember he said the same thing in Luke 16.10. Right? Okay? You were faithful in... Who is faithful in least in, because we need to realize, you know, to realize if we, if you are going to look in the standards of the world, then what standard, what chance do we have of rewards in heaven? Like most of the people in the world who are really believers are really poor, but they can be faithful. We have common things which God gives us. We all have received little. Some people have got more money. Some people have little money. That poor widow had only a mite. She was very faithful with it. Okay. Then one thing common which I always tell people is that everybody is given. It doesn't matter who you are. You only get 24 hours deposited every day into your account. And the question is, are you faithful with that time? That waits and time is an equalizer. You cannot escape. The rich man cannot say, I got more time. The poor can cannot say, I got less time. The simple question is, what did you do with it? What did you do with it? Okay. And if you come to words 11, okay, words 11, if you have not been faithful, again, God brings something, okay? If you have not been faithful with money, okay? So the church in Laodicea is rich. That's not a bad thing. Abraham was rich, Isaac was rich, Jacob was rich, Job was rich, Noah, all of these people were rich. So riches is not a bad thing. The issue was that we can understand the church in Laodicea was unfaithful with their prosperity. Unfaithful with their money. They were unfaithful. They were unfaithful with their money. Let's go to the gospel according to Luke, because this is a very serious topic. We shall not, uh, it doesn't matter, those who, the, those who have ears, let them hear. Okay, 12, okay. Chapter 12 of Luke, and we will read from verse 16. Yeah, verse 16 to 21. Then he spoke a parable. Remember, he always speaks to parables to them, saying, The ground of a rich man yielded plentifully. Okay, praise God. It's a good thing, okay? Yielded plentifully. That means he worked hard. I mean, if he didn't work out, he didn't break up fallow ground, what's the point of rain? It will just full blow. So he's a hard worker, everything smart, clever, understands farming, everything. Yielded plentifully. And now the issue comes. He thought within himself. What shall I do? Since I have no room to store my crops, what shall I do? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, 
You have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink and be merry. And then, but God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So Jesus was explaining. He says, okay, he's explaining. So what was the issue? The issue was not that he was rich. The issue was not he was a hard worker. The issue was not that his field yielded plentifully. All that was good. The only issue was this. He was not rich towards God. When are you not rich towards God? When am I not rich towards God? When I forget I am only a steward and not an owner. Okay. We need to realize there's only one honor. That is God. Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2. We are using this parable, okay? Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's. So what does it mean? The ground that yielded plentifully belonged to God. He was just a steward. If he's not a steward, he's the honor. When he dies, he takes the ground with me. But the ground remains, he goes, because it was never his in the first place. It is given to whom God pleases. The ground that yielded plentifully was God's. So I am just a steward, God is the owner. Second, Second Corinthians 9 and 10. Now, may he who supplies the seed to the sower, so, the ground yielded plentifully because he had seed to sow. The seed was God's. The seed was not his. The one who supplied the seed was God. Okay? The ground is God's. The seed was God's. Deuteronomy 28, 12. The Lord will open to you his good treasure. What is that? God's good treasure, the heavens, to give you rain in your land in its season. So the rain that watered the ground was also God's. It was not yours. Okay, we're just using that parable. For my field to yield plentifully, each one in their own different situations. If you go, we will see the ground is God's, the seed is God's, the rain is God's. Then you will say, okay, I worked hard. Deuteronomy 8.18. Okay, Deuteronomy 8, 18. Okay, whichever way, okay, whichever way, okay, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. Okay, people will say, I worked hard, but you could have fallen ill and missed your exams. I worked hard, the strength, everything is His. He gave you the strength, each in your own context. In your own context. He gave you the strength to work. Okay? Then you come to First Corinthians chapter 3, 6 and 7. You worked. Okay? In the field, two kinds of works happens. Okay? Uh, no, no, no. First Corinthians 3, 3, not 6. 3, 6 and 7. I planted Apollo's water. So, that is work. But God gave the increase. So neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. So when increase comes, that is also God's. The field yielded plentifully. Therefore, 
if the ground is God's and the seed is God's, the water is God's, the strength is God's and the increase is God's, then the honor, the glory and the praise is His. He owns it all. But the problem was, this dude in this story was very rich towards himself. If you notice in Luke that which we read, no, 12, okay, 16 to 17 and all, you will see six times he uses the word, I, 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 I will do this, I, 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 and then God comes and says, you fool, you didn't realize all this belonged to me. I want accounts. I want accounts. Okay. This is what happened to the church. What happened to this church? Why does he say you, they are poor? <coughs> they are poor because they are not rich towards God. Rich towards God. <coughs> Why are they not rich towards God? Why are they not rich towards God? So the question is, what is the purpose of life? What's the purpose of life? No greater love than a man has who lays down his life for others. That's the purpose of life. When you lay down your life for others, you are rich towards God. God doesn't need anything from me, but God demands I, what is his, I give it to others. So Paul is very confident of his crown because he says, I've come to the end of my life and my life has been poured as a drink offering. Okay. And the issue is, it always begins with money. Because what is faith in the kingdom is money in the world. If you come to Matthew chapter 6, where it's 19, <coughs> 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, your heart. Also God says there are two places you can treasure your money. Either you can treasure your wealth on earth or health in heaven. If you treasure your wealth, it will go, it will be, you will lose it. So let us conclude by going back to Luke chapter 16. Now we will read from verse 1 onwards the whole parable. It's one of the most I have had so many times over the years and years people asking questions about it because this is the most complicated of Jesus' parables. There was a certain rich man, remember, who had a steward. That is the key. God is the rich man. God is the rich man. We are stewards. There was a rich man who had a steward. And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. What was he doing? He was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about? You give me an account of your stewardship, for we can no longer be a steward. This is what we will all give in eternity. We will give an account of our stewardship. Okay? Then the steward said within himself, okay, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. Because he was a blue collar worker. He doesn't, I mean, that's okay. People, that's okay. As long as you're working, it is fine. You know, you don't expect somebody who has been in academics to go and dig. But you should be in academics. 
subject something so he says i don't know how to dig because he must have been a middle aged man you cannot learn you cannot teach a old dog new tricks they say you know that's why this old dog doesn't drive because very difficult to teach him that trick you know so he says what shall i do for my master is taking the stewardship away from me i cannot dig and i'm ashamed to beg okay so inability and shame now i have resolved what to do that when i am put out of stewardship they may receive into their houses i will have favor with people so he called every one of his masters debtors to him and said only he knows the accounts the master doesn't know but like joseph potiphar he has trusted him with everything only problem he is not joseph how much do you owe my master he said 100 measures of oil is a take a bill and quickly write 50 He said, "How much do you owe?" He said, "Hundred measures of it." He said, "Take a bill, write eighty." Okay. When the master, so the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. He said, "You know what? This master, this guy, the people in this world are very shrewd. Okay. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light." He says, "The sons of this world are very good to use temporal things to rise in temporal world." They are very smart, but the sons of the light are not. The sons of light should be wiser than them by using the temporal things to rise in the eternal. I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, meaning when you die, the time is up. You may receive into an everlasting home. The question, the thing is, is what is he? The key is in verse nine. What is he actually saying? What are you using your time, your energy, and wealth on earth for? here in context of money are you using it to save souls are you investing it in the kingdom of god then when if you have really invested in the kingdom of god when you reach there you will have a harvest of souls waiting for you otherwise you have nothing you have nothing where does your assurance come from where does your assurance come from what have you used your money for what have you used your money for that is what he is talking about so you need to realize it was good that laodicea was blessed with riches but they indulged like so many churches do they throw their money upon building and building and building and building and building and building and building that is okay but if you look into their giving it's very little very little it's very little it's a minute part of their part of their budget that actually goes into the kingdom of god much of their budget is is indulged on self that's why i don't let anybody handle finances because if i let you you will budget it and it will go that's why even on a sunday lunch i'll ask why this why 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 because i know when i stand before god i will be judged about stewardship how did you use my money and i can stand bravely before god and say i put it all back into your kingdom therefore my people my church needs to receive the rewards because i know they are terrible investors but what they put into the church coffers i have invested wisely for them I will have the courage to stand before God and says everybody in GTC who put their money I have invested it wisely I was a good steward so even if they were not aware of it I can ask God they also need to receive a part of the rewards because I invested it 
because most people don't most people I mean, I mean yesterday also somebody was telling me oh pastor I said you want to sit in my chair for one day you will thank god for your life the pressure we go through but we will not give in to pressure because the pressure is this are you faithful faithful in investing in god's kingdom this is his people because we are not this is how you have the assurance of of treasures some people it is not money some people have been given time time as what i tell my wife shut down and pray shut down and pray shut down and pray shut down and pray don't waste time because you have time you have to you don't have to do anything other than what i tell you to do nothing sit down use that time because when you use that time you are a very good steward of your riches true riches because that time spent is being invested in the kingdom and it is bringing in souls this is how stewardship works so this is what he's telling if you go to back to revelation chapter 3 when he's telling them chapter 3 uh when he's telling them yeah he says you know you may be rich that you may be clothed i know because the problem is you see they are not able to see they are not able to see they cannot see they are blinded that is why the bible says do not love the world or the things of the world do not conform to the pattern of the world do not get because when you go into the world your senses become drunk you don't have to drink wine your senses your senses lot of people just go to malls and buy up things which they don't need at all then to please somebody else they buy a gift also Whenever people go to a mall, they get me a gift, and I look at them and I say, "Thank you for your gift. Thank you for your gesture. I feel in my heart." But I wish you didn't go to the mall in the first place. Go to mall place. It's good. They they love me. They get me something. But the fact is that so many of the things, no things. But you need to realize why does he say, "Do not love the world and the things of the world"? The reason is that why don't why why should I not love the things of the world? Because every time I love a thing, I will buy it. When I buy it, am I a good steward? Should my money have gone in that? It's the question. Every so many times I tell my wife, it doesn't matter. You can have the same menu every Sunday. It doesn't matter. It's a fellowship lunch. The key is fellowship, not the food. it can have a simple thing every sunday nobody is going to complain and if anybody complains send them to me we don't have to have a feast because that very money which we save which money i remember how i taught my two uh, my children not two of them when they were small when i taught them i taught them to save i taught them to tithe and i said you save you don't spend whatever you need to know i will buy it but save then came in situation when uh, there was a need and a child who needed it is listening okay and they broke their offering their savings and it was so much they had saved and everything they dumped and said give it to mege okay give it okay the thing is that that's the whole idea is that don't waste don't waste even in your shopping as i taught my daughter come with me i will take you to the supermarket i will show you how to buy stuff i said you have to wait for dates you say when is 10 or 15 days left for expiry the prices will come down of the same product you want this which is good this is when you should buy and buy it and 
this is how you buy. What is happening? Why are you being a good steward? Because where you are spending 100, if you can spend 50 for the same thing, if you are wise, you can give 50 away. That's the principle in the book of Ephesians. Let a man no longer steal. Let him work so that he may have something to give. This is how you break. This is how you become a good steward of your time and your strength. Because ultimately when you go to the word of God, go to the book of Corinthians. You need to look at this. Okay. First Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 19 and 20. Or do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Verse 20. For you are bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God. So God is saying, do you know you are bought with true riches? Your life doesn't belong to you. You are just a steward of this, even this body doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God because he bought it. This body which should have gone into hellfire and then from there to the lake of fire forever and ever I redeemed with true riches which is the blood of my son and clothed you with my righteousness which is priceless. Your body is not your own. I'm just a steward of my body. It's no longer mine. Earlier that's what Romans 6, Paul will say earlier this body was the devil's. He used it whichever way. You thought you were using it, like that foolish rich man. Okay, You thought you were using it, but he was rich using your body. Now I bought it from him. It is not your body, my body. So God says, how are you using your body? That is, represents your life. Are you a good steward of what belongs to me? So when we talk about judgment, when we talk about standing before God and giving an account, we will have to ask. We will have to give. So God says in the same token, that's where it becomes with money. So what we do and young parents, what they have to do is that because our little children have not come to faith, have come to faith and not grown in faith, what you need to do with them is teach them to be faithful with money. How to be faithful, how to spend less, how to save and how to give. Teach them. Why? Because one day they will come to God. When they come to God, instead of money, God will give them a measure of faith. And then you have to teach them how to increase the faith, how to store the faith, and how to use the faith. Give it away. Because when troubles and trials came, when the storm hit, and when they went to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care? The only question he asked them is, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Okay? Like if my child ever was to come to me and ask me, Dad, I need them. The first question I ask them is, where's the money? Didn't I give you money for that? Where's the money? No, I spend it. What did you spend it on? I want to know what did you spend it on. Okay? So when we run into trouble, we're going through a trial today, God will ask, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Because remember, what money is in the world is faith in the kingdom. Faith in the kingdom. And therefore, God has given us all a measure of faith. God will say, I will ask you a stewardship. What did you do with your faith? Because for a man who believes in your own personal life and situations you go through, nothing is impossible. Everything I demanded from every person could have been done if you had the faith. You did not increase your faith. 
I will ask you, account. Like this rich man asked the steward of his money, God will ask us, uh, us stewards of his life in us for our faith. What did you do with the faith I gave you? Did you increase it? Did you use it? Are you accountable? And how do we learn to be faithful is first with money. First with money. Money is an important thing. Absolutely important thing. How we handle being faithful with money is not being faithful in taxes and all those things. That is irrelevant things. Those are things everybody will do because of fear. Otherwise the tax man will come. That is not the issue. People always think giving it to Caesar is being faithful. That is irrelevant. And everybody does it. Otherwise they will come after you and take it from you with fine. So you don't have to worry about it. That is not the issue. The issue is do you really believe your money is not your own? And will you really work on to increase your money and then give it away? It is good to be rich. It's bad to be poor. Poverty is not a good thing. It's a curse. It's a curse. It's good to be rich. Good to be rich. That's what Job is basically talking about. He's looking at his riches and he's asking these questions. Did I ever withhold my hand from anybody? Did any poor widow go hungry, any orphan unfed? He's looking, he's asking these questions and he's asking, what's I wrong with my money? But his children were unfaithful with money. They were just eating and drinking. Remember, in the last days when Jesus talked about Noah and Lot, what were they doing? It was all about money. They were eating and drinking, buying and selling. Marrying and getting married. A building. This is what they were so caught in the temporal, they did not realize the very money they had. To do all, even to get married, you need money. Everything you need money. And they realized they were terrible stewards of the honor. The honor is God. He owns the earth. He owns everything. And we have to give accounts. And when it came to Laodicea, he says, you know what? You say you are rich. You are wealthy. You have need for nothing. Let me tell you your real thing. Spiritual, I'm going to judge you. If I were to judge you now, if you did not repent, if I were to judge you now, this is what you will reach in heaven as. If you are saved, this is what you will end up with. Nothing. That's what he says. Your works will come through the fire. And you will just be saved. Laodicea's danger is if they are those who are saved over there will end up into heaven, nothing. They will be even naked. Meaning other than the imputed righteousness of Jesus, they have nothing. Absolutely nothing. And it is for eternity. Eternity. That's why the Bible talks about ashamed at his appearance. We're talking about the unbelievers. You will, I mean, imagine if you were to walk around, if you were forced to get out of a house in your undergarments. There's a fire and you ran out and then you ran out, you saved your life, then you realize everybody is looking at you and they said, oh, I ran out in my this thing in my hand and somebody has to cover you. But eternity, you won't be covered. You have no works to show. Works to show. And people do not realize this is the danger into which people are caught in. That is why we have to be careful of all this little, little. We are not working for our salvation. We are working on other things. So today is what? I'm so confused days because the whole week was meetings. This whole week is meetings. It's Monday, right? Yeah, Saturday I thought was Monday and 
Monday I thought was Saturday. Okay, today is Monday. We shall pray. We shall pray. Otherwise, you know what? When we go through all these things, like Smyrna is going through, remember what Jesus told Smyrna. You are poor, but you are rich. You are rich. That's why we always say this question. If you are poor, it should be only because you gave, not because you bought. But riches is not. See, the whole indictment over Sodom was not that it was rich. But the problem was they were proud, they had so much time, and they did not use that time to strengthen the hand of the poor, of the weak. They did not use it. It is good to be rich if you are humble, and if you have a lot of time, and you decide, you know what, I am a steward, let me use this money and this time for the extension of his kingdom to help his people. First with his people, not the Gentiles, okay? Please remember, I always will tell that, don't get household of faith first. Don't go into social work. Then the Gentiles will bite you later. That's what happened to the Catholic Church. They are bitten by the Gentiles. Because they put all their money into them. Save the wretch like me. I was worthless, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. But for your grace, I could not be saved. But for your You have been faithful to me, Lord, for your amazing grace. Oh, but for your grace, I could not be saved. But for your grace, Lord, I would go my way. I'm forever grateful that you have been faithful to me, Lord, for your amazing reign, Lord, for your amazing reign. Father, this morning we stand in the light of your word, Lord. We realize, Lord, we own nothing. You own everything. The cattle on a thousand hills are yours. The gold and the silver are yours. We are just stewards. And our stewardship on earth is only for a season. How long that season is only you know. But one day, it is appointed unto every man to die once. And after that is judgment. The judgment is about our stewardship. Over and over and over you taught through parables. 
that day or will happen when we stand before you. This is not to condemn us, but to reward us. But we can be rewarded only with what we have already stored in heaven. So do not store treasures on earth. Rust and moth will destroy it. But he said, we can store it in heaven. He told us the story of a man who was rich towards himself. With his time. With his strength. With his money. But he was poor towards God. We have to have the confidence of Apostle Paul when we finish. That we need to be rich towards God. With our life. With our time. With whatever you have given us. Including our gifts. Because they are gifts. So I pray Father today. The church that hears will be sober. Sober. Will not fear. Because when the day of evil comes, when the storm hits us, sometimes when we cry out to you, Lord, where are you? Don't you care? Your answer will be, where is your faith? What did you do with the measure of faith I gave you when you believed? Did you increase it? Did you work on it? Why are you anxious today? Why are you fearful today? When you are, why are you so afraid that your boat will go down and you will sink with it? Where is your faith? And I pray, Father, we, your children, will be faithful with both our money and with our faith. The currency in this world and the currency in your kingdom. Faithful. Faithful. Exercise money, faithfulness of money in little things and exercise faith in little things. Be faithful in little things how we exercise our faith so that you can entrust bigger things Knowing that you are faithful. Even today, you are faithful. Of all the dear brethren who have tuned in, there's a storm hitting. He warned us about a trial that will come upon the whole earth. The question is still, where is your faith? We just thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. In your mercy, in your goodness, you saved us. Otherwise, we too would have been blind just like them. Lost just like them, Lord. We just thank you. Thank you, Father. It was your mercy. For your mercy is, Lord, your loving faithfulness, Lord, endures forever, Father. Thank you for your faithfulness, even today, even now, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Therefore, once again, we lift up holy hands. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. And we declare, Lord Jesus, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory 
forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Amen.